grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and grandpa, we believe She'd been drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go But she forgot her medication And she staggered through the door out in the snow When we found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack She had hoof prints on her forehead And incriminating claws marks on her back Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Hello and welcome to a new episode of Third Degree Burn. We've got a special Christmas episode for you. I'm Kirk Greenfield, guest intern, and we're joined by our regular hosts, Brian Hughes. Hello. And Tim Elliott. Hello. I really should have said hello. John ho. <laughs> and John Hyatt's here too. Ho ho ho. Doom. <laughs> and I think David is uh, wrapping presents at home right now. I don't think he's with us. He may pop so, in, uh, you just don't know. Yeah, he's snowbound. Yep. That's right. He had like 10 feet of snow to throw out. Yeah, (laughs) it was like 17 inches. Yeah, he can keep it. Well, uh, so this is a holiday theme, uh, but I'm unfamiliar with this particular issue. So uh, please fill us in. Well, uh, what we're going to be covering, and and Brian is going to give us a little more about this because he's doing the heavy lifting this week, but this is an issue of uh, Marvel's What The, which is their comedy parody uh run that ran from like the i think the late from like 89 to 93 it ran for about four or five years and it's kind of their uh what not brand Eck was back in the 60s they're poking fun at themselves and at the distinguished competition uh, from various ones and and now brian is brian's already taken to the drink uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is it's their christmas special and it is a uh uh it's a Doctor Doom story, but uh, I'm gonna let Brian fill us in on all the details since he's gonna be covering the synopsis here. Alrighty, alrighty. Uh, this is this is a treat, really. Um, the of course the, the book is What the uh, issue number ten, published by Marvel, with a cover date of January 1991. The on sale date was November 6, 1990. Had a cover price of a dollar twenty-five and a page count of thirty-six. Story title is I'll Be Doomed for Christmas. I can practically hear the tune in my head. Uh, with uh, eight pages, writer Scott Lobdell, artist John Byrne, letterer Jade Mode, colorist Daniel Vasso, and edited by Craig Anderson. Uh, it was reprinted in the Marvel Holiday Magazine from 2010. Fantastic Four by John Byrne, Omnibus Volume 2 hardcover. I'm trying to figure out why that went into a Fantastic Four Omnibus. I mean, the Fantastic Four do have a very small minor appearance in there but it's uh that's kind of weird you think you think they would have put it's this doing. in the the marvel by john byrne that omnibus hmm but i, I don't recall it being in there but i, I, I mean i, I don't think it that. is now i'm gonna have to look but anyway um the cover of course was done by byrne as well and it is um it is an interesting cover it's got santa claus coming out of the 
the fireplace, and he's coming. Now, who are these two characters here? Because my first thought was that was like uh, Dagger from Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, I think it's supposed to, it's milk and cookies, but milk and cookies. Be, okay, it's a spoof of cloak and dagger. They're supposed yeah. to be a cloak and dagger. Yeah, yeah, and they're at the Christmas tree, and then uh, at the bottom of the of the page, there, Captain America's pushing up the bottom of the page, saying, "Hey, this isn't entirely a Christmas issue. How come they get the whole cover?" And I'll say it's because John Byrne drew it. That's why. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, I've got a synopsis here. Uh, you know, you know, the thing is about this story is that it is done in the same rhyme scheme as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And I, I just don't think that in the time that we have that we'd be able to do it to the justice of reading it in that rhyme and verse. That being said, as I wrote my synopsis, if I did rhyme in places, it was unintentional. Though there are points where I do lift specific text right out of the story just because it was proper, um, for lack of a better word. Let me take a quick drink here and uh, let's get started. Christmas Eve in Latveria. The monarch doom sits at his private vigil when his alarms go off telling him of an intruder. He rushes out to his roof to find his security system has caught and injured St. Nicholas himself, Santa Claus. Santa tells Doom he's too hurt and injured to finish giving out the Christmas joy and that he needs Doom to complete the task, offering Doom his heart's desire, no matter what it may be, should he finish it. Doom takes the task as well as Santa's robes and reindeer, rides off on his sled to pass out secondhand all the Christmas cheer by proxy. While making the Christmas rounds, he finds himself at the Avengers Mansion. Here he finds that the Earth's mightiest heroes have left gifts for friend and foe alike. He's angry at the Fantastic Four that they've never done such a thing for him. Still, he goes about his task. As he leaves the Avengers Mansion, Captain America and Quasar follow and are joined by Speedball, all wondering what Doom has planned now. They want to uh, stop him, but they hold back to see what he does. Now as Doom finishes delivery of Christmas Christmas presents to the Fantastic Four, he turns around and finds them all there and wishes them a wonderful Christmas night. Only get a face full of fist, courtesy of the thing's massive right. He lands in Central Park, now to be confronted by the Avengers and the FF. He's had enough. He strikes out. It is then that a young girl from a nearby hospital for sickly children asks Santa Doom why the heroes attack. Doom sees her holding a mangy old teddy bear and then all the other kids and tells them all the heroes are here to help pass out the toys. For one magic moment, they were all of one heart. Doom truly enjoyed playing his part. He held her aloft, not wanting to harm her. I love you, Santa, she whispered as he held her near. Did the king of Latveria fight back a tear? Several weeks later, when Santa had healed, he thanks Doom for taking care of his Christmas chores. Doom had returned, though, to his sullen stance, telling St. Nick the next time they meet, it will be his enemies. Claus reminds Doom that he still do his heart's desire. Doom tells him thanks anyway. It has been taken care of. Santa takes his leave, wondering what Doom meant back there. Doom simply stands atop his castle, holding that old mangy teddy bear and a smile of contentment that not even his armor could hold back. The end. Bravo. Good summer. Good job. Good summer, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was, uh, it. It, was a, it was a pleasing story to read, um, though it does have one dark question. But I'll get to that much later <laughs> as we go th- go through this. 
but it was yeah, definitely a fun story, and the the writing was really really done well. I could see this being a production. Yeah, it would if you had a cast. I mean, some of the rhyme doesn't quite hit the beats of the the original story when I was reading it. It's like, well, you can see it feels a little forced, but it's yeah. the best you can do for trying to tell the story. But um, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's and the artwork's the artwork's good. Burn gets to. I've always thought Burn has uh, is is it's kind of serious and detailed as he is. He has a I want to say a soft spot for doing the comical because he, yeah. he he returns to it. And he loves doing kind of really stylized, kind of goofy characters. He's it's doing very it here with like the reindeer, whimsically cartoonish. Exactly, whimsical. That's a great description for it. Um, and of course, it's basically you know it's it has a Grinch feel to it. It has yeah. uh, there's a there's a great Futurama episode where Bender takes over for Santa Claus when I think he kills him or he gets hurt. Um, and he you know and of course in those storylines Santa Claus is evil. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, it's a nightmare for Christmas. It has kind of that kind of that feel, uh, you know, when you have Santa a substitute Claus, Santa Claus. The yeah. Santa Claus movies. That Santa Claus the movie comes out three years after this. So, you know, if anybody wants to say they copied it, it looks like maybe Santa Claus copied this. But I think it's a, a theme that's been done many many times though. Right. Yeah. 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 Anytime. Uh, anytime somebody's. Anytime it's you know it's fun to play with somebody else substituting for. Santa. Yeah. Um, I do have one one comment, something that I find kind of an odd choice here, and it's it, it's I don't know if it's Byrne or if it was the editor, but on the front cover, um, you know the the block the window up in the top left corner that's usually reserved for whatever team it is, that they've got the red skull the- with a Santa cap. Yeah. But I think the red skull now represents things a little bit differently i mean a lot worse now than than back in the late 90s ryan i think your your audio started to drop out more frequently here i hope you dropped that a little bit there brian all right well um but i was just saying that the red skull being up in the corner i don't know if that's i mean today it wouldn't be appropriate back then they could use them yeah, you're still dropping the out brian action is really not working there but yeah, uh, we, we got the gist of that I was looking at the, uh, not quite the splash page, but the first page where Doom is sulking in front of the fire, and there appears to be an elf head over the mantelpiece piece with a Santa's cap on it. So it, it sort of looks like Nightcrawler, but not really. But uh, that was kind of weird. But, you know, it's all, all in the same, you know, it, it's dark and moody and it all fits, so. Well, it's very the, the artwork, especially this first page, is very dense. It's it's got a lot of blacks in it, mm-hmm. uh, and it and I just I just now noticed that the that the stocking he's got looks like it hit it it goes all the way down and it's twirl and it's curled up around the oh. bottom. It looks like a chain mail stocking. Yeah, it's an well, anaconda skin. It, oh, is that what yeah, because it goes all the way around to uh, around the tree, and then <laughs> yeah. I mean around is is. His his chair there. You see how it loops around his feet yeah. all the way to the yeah. to the left of him. Is it interesting that Doom's Christmas tree isn't perfect? It's kind like of leaning. It's got an angel up there though, so it does have an angel, but it's yeah. He is somewhat um, 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 in the mood, in the spirit. You know why there's I would an think angel that roaring fire would. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, I say I think that I would think that Roaring Fire would heat that metal armor up pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's got air conditioners <laughs> built in. He has to. That's true. Now, can you guys hear me? Okay. You're coming good Sounds now. Sounds good now. You know why there's an angel on top of the Christmas tree, right? Because um, it'd get trampled on anyplace else? It's an old apocryphal story, but it was a really, really rough Christmas. You know, elves were on strike, reindeer were sick, everybody was having a bad time, Santa was at his last nerve. And an angel walks up to him and she says in that pixie voice, Santa, what do you want me to do with this last Christmas tree? And ever since then, there's been an angel on top of the Christmas trees. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. I- <laughs> I had the uh, I had the Starship Enterprise on top of mine. Mm. I bought that yeah. chopper this year. You have the Starship Enterprise, you said? Yeah, that Hallmark came out with a. It was last year, I think, yep. the year before they came up with a topper. That's oh. the Enterprise. It lights up and it um, it communicates with. You can get ornaments that you can plug in that will talk to it, hmm. so they will uh, interact with it. That's pretty cool. Get yeah. a photo of that in the show notes. Yeah, show a picture of it in the in the show notes. That'd be yeah. cool. You know, I forgot to cover what else came out that month because uh, we talked about it before, but we didn't talk about it now. So let me just finish that up, and then we'll go back to our page by page. Um, This is January 1991 with cover date. So Iron Man uh, 264, Where is Iron Man? That he uh, wrote, but John Romita Jr. did the art. Uh, Mickey Mouse Adventures number 8. I'm assuming he did the cover art for that because it doesn't show up in Mike's Amazing World. Namor the Submariner, number 10, Dark Nativity, not a Christmas story. Um, OMAC, One Man Army Corps, number 1, Past Imperfect. Superman, uh, 1990 series, number 2. I don't recall this one, and it's not shown up on Mike's Amazing World, so I have to assume it's a cover or a single page art. cover. Yeah. The Flash TV special, number 1. Uh, I, th- I know that's got one small story, I think, in it that he did the artwork in. Hmm. Uncanny X-Men trade paper. Okay, that's a, a reprint. What the number 10 and who's who in the DC universe, Adam Strange to Wildcat. So um, if that one's got Superman in it, I think that's probably why. And that's all for that month. That was a lot, though. I mean, it looks like a lot. but That's a lot. Well, well I mean, as far as art, he did Namor, Olmec, uh, The Flash, and I have to assume that he didn't do them all at once. That there are things that he did you know, throughout the year, and then they were able to put them about, you know. Omec well, that Omec like, alone, that yeah, that was a quite. A, that, you know, we've covered that already, but that that's that was a uh, larger work. than large format. Yeah, that was a lot of work. Yeah, that was prestige format book. So yeah. Yep. All right, but then again, he uh, he repurposed art from his Shazam storyline story that uh, didn't go through. So he, I think, he had some art put back to work on. But when he repurposes his art, that it kind of messes with the schedule, as we've learned recently on Elswin. Yeah. Alrighty, well. Back to the story, it's the book itself. Um, the first page we've kind of covered. You do get the idea, uh, as, as we were talking about, that uh, with with this, the style of artwork that he's doing that is definitely a little bit off, off kilter. Doom's expressions mm-hmm. and everything are all exaggerated. The castle itself doesn't even look, you know, straight or, you know, everything looks kind of rickety, you know? Sort of well, like that Dr. that Seuss. castle is very Doctor Seuss like. Yes. In that, yeah, that's I think that maybe the vibe he's kind of going with. Um, and the then, Santa looks a little bit like the Santa he drew in the She Hulk. Yeah, I was thinking the same story. thing. And that yes. that that uh, tra- trap he's got him—it mean, looks like a giant bear trap, doesn't it? <laughs> it 
it is. <laughs> That's quite an elaborate trap. <laughs> well, when you're Doctor Doom, you've got to have elaborate traps. But at least he puts them in a very nice. I, I love the I love the little inset of Doom um, running out of the castle. He almost looks like a Jawa with the two little dots for his eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, put What's the it? label on the turret say? Um, I, I can't read that. Is something Kirby Castle? Is it built by or? Yeah, I think so. Built by Kirby Castle Company. Yeah, something. Because <laughs> that's the standard, typical Kirby type spire. Yeah. And the room that, that Santa gets put in looks like it's quite large. Well, it's a castle. Of course, it's a large room. What What is that? Okay, there's a, a on the right side, very right side of the frame. There's a lamp, and there's something underneath it. Is that Mickey Mouse? I think so. It's something like that. It's probably a Mickey Mouse phone. <laughs> something that like was so that. popular yeah. about that time. My brother had one of those. But he yeah, he held up the handle with his hand out to one side. Hmm. And then go to the next page and that's Rudolph's um, expression there is excellent there, Rudolph. Yes. Yeah, sort of yeah. snarly and vicious. Yeah. Now is Rudolph the only identifiable of the reindeers? Yeah. Oh, the reindeer, excuse yeah, me. The rest are just... Yeah. I think he's the only one that speaks. Well, they all Almost. laugh. <laughs> they're all... all snir- yeah, they're all giggling and snorting and kind of giving him sass. Well, Doom in um, the Santa outfit is just... That's that's hilarious. And kind of cool. But he takes it seriously, because he's Santa Doom. Yeah. <laughs> Do we ever he get a off ho, his ho, ho out of him? Uh, um... um I don't recall seeing that. I mean, we do get a, a hoo hoo ha he he ha ha ho ho from the reindeers. Those are from the reindeer. And ack and gack. Yeah, it is. It is. Hey, there's your uh, there's your your uh, promotional square panel right there where he says, "I am Santa Doom." That's yeah. uh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, I got to see if we can find a cleaner one than from our digital copies though because it's muddy i think if you just i think i'll google that and i can find that you know it's it's i think it's the uh the the digital copy that we're that we're reading this from and there's several places you can find it if you don't have a physical copy uh several places online the the digital copy that they scanned it from uh it, of course duo shade uh and and the type of printing that they did kind of bled through and so unless you're looking at a digital copy which is beautiful uh, you're going to see some muddiness, as something we were talking about earlier. But um, the next page, of course, where he is at the Avengers Mansion, and you can see, you know, in the the bottom frame, two Ultron, two Kang, two Immortus, two Quasar, two Cap. That's about all. No, well, that's all. It's an oil can for Ultron. Uh, I wonder what that was. I didn't realize it's an oil can. And is that a, tea, that's a teapot to Quasar? Looks like. Yep. You can't make it out. Can't make it out. But... Is there a blue weapon or, or uh, a bomb shell just to the right of that? Oh, oh, I see. That's what it what your it's labeled. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, the oil can that they're giving to Ultron is like the one they used on the Tin Woodsman in Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. His head. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really cute. And, well, I, I, well, go ahead. When the when the Avengers come in, they don't ever confront him here. But was Speedball an Avenger at this point? No. Or was he with the New Warriors, or was that even out yet? Well, uh, it might have just been coming out. I don't recall yeah. when 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure, and now I'm going to Google it and find out. Well, I mean, Kawh- Kawhazar certainly he was part of the team at this point, but uh, um, I think Speedball was just he's just kind of a whimsical character you can put in there. While you're doing that, here's a, a small sidelight looking at those presents again. One is labeled to Kang. One is labeled to Immortus. If you look at the uh, the pattern and the colors of the gift wrap of they're those opposite. two presents, they're they're perfectly matched. They're perfectly opposites. Oh, I think yeah. that's a little subtle. Huh. Yeah, a subtle hint to their origins relationship. Okay, let's see. Uh, I'm having a hard time finding that right here. Just trying to. Uh-huh. Bring it down, bring it down. Anyway, um, the next page is uh, something that I found is a big trend on Burn around this time. In the top panel, you see the the feet of I guess that Santa Doom walking away, mm-hmm. you know, walking away from them. And throughout this book, you'll see many times where you see feet either walking towards or walking away from you. And he used the the feet for uh, for some reason in a lot of books around this time like that. I don't know if it was a nod to James Cameron or if it was a a gag on Rob Liefeld, who came out this point and was notorious for not liking to draw feet. I think people are putting too much emphasis that anyone cared about Rob Liefeld's feet. That <laughs> this is Barn riffing on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just the way he sets it up, so you could, you know, this way you get bur- you get Doom in the the frame, and you get the shadowy figures in the back as they're kind of watching him, and and even the feet are done in a comical way. He's kind of, it's almost like a a, a Don Martin or, or or Mad Magazine kind of style, mm-hmm. uh, him kind of uh, toddling off like that. I love the shady figures in the background. You can't make out who they are. Yeah, the silhouettes aren't distinct, but that's. That's just enough, and it almost makes them appear to be the bad guys lurking in the shadows. Yeah. Okay, I think I've answered my own question. I, Quasar and Cap follow Doom to Four Freedoms Plaza. Then Speedball shows up. He's not with them. He just shows up right. and says, isn't Christmas great? And they're basically like saying, shut up, you're making too much noise. Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just shows up because he, right. he sees him. Now, New Warriors came out in July of 1990, so just a few months before this. Yeah. And Speedball was a that, was a was a member of it, so that was sort of the beginning of that. Um, yeah. And Quasar was with the Avengers at that time, so yeah, it was just yeah, like you say, happenstance. But they grabbed his that, mouth. And do you notice the kind of Dicko S <laughs> look to Speedball in the bottom left hand panel? Yep. Yeah. Well, well he hadn't I think shaved that, his head yet. Well, uh, Ditko was the one that drew him. He can't. I think that was probably yeah. his last thing he, he created. Did, him. Created, yeah. So uh, probably the last thing he did for Marvel. The the panel to the right of that, the corner panel with the FF come in. Yeah. Does that not look, look like the character box that was on the FF for a while, where it was all the characters and Reed was kind of uh, stretching over them? Mm-hmm. A, a it's definitely bit, a familiar yeah. pose. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar pose for that, which is really cool how he um, brought those in like that. And they're just kind of, hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is I love the uh, Go ahead. punch. Well, yeah, the, and the rhyme going into it, you know, Doom sees the Fantastic Four, he's like, Merry Christmas to yeah. all. Ouch, the thing has some right. <laughs> As he comes flying out of the top of the building after that punch. Uh-huh. Get the impression it's clobbering time. <laughs> yeah. 
Rudolph is so sarcastic in this. <laughs> yeah, and then here's another one of those, all the feet in the panel. They're in the middle. Yeah. I think it's just an interesting storytelling effort. Yeah. Or, um, I like elements it. Elements to I've, I've, I've bring you just a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. You can Because you can easily identify all these people by their feet. And it lets Doom, because he's coming out of like a crater that he was in. And then he, you know, it, this would be nice if this, that bottom panel was a splash page. Yeah. Where he's attacking all the heroes. Yeah. And yeah that would that also really be a good, a good one to use for a promo. It? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the next page is when you see we the get, little, girl, uh, little Virginia, if you want to call her or whatever. Cindy Lou. Yeah. Cindy Lou. Oh, that's right. Cindy exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. At least um, it's not Ruby Sue. So here's a, a demented side of me, you know, s- s- uh, kind of peeking out. So she's got the little mangy old teddy bear, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the story, you see Doom has the mangy old teddy bear. Now, did she give it to him, or did he inherit I think, it from her? <laughs> I think she gave it to him. It's a memento. He's smiling in that last panel. Yeah. 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 It's not like he took her and imprinted her his brain engrams on it and made her think she was Doom <laughs> like she did with the, <laughs> the other kid. Yeah. Um, I think it's just she present she gave it to him and that's what kind of warmed his heart yep mm-hmm. um, it grew point. three sizes that day <laughs> that's right <laughs> burst out of his armor um in the page page seven the one before the last page uh lower left does that are those supposed to be tears in his left eye it looks like he's welling up yeah yeah that's it oh okay <laughs> And everyone's playing with the kids, giving them presents. Hospital for sickly children. Yeah, yeah you know, it's like when you get sickly they're, children they're, in a hospital, I think the last thing they want to see is the human torch, but, you know. <laughs> well, does he use his vast intellect to cure these kids? No. He just gives them toys and then leaves. Oh, my yeah. God. So. And then Quasar <laughs> flies them around, at least. I guess. I guess it's just, just these kids get Christmas. The rest of the world's like, ah, you know. You're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get anything from us, but. Um. Okay, I went dark, but you're going dark too. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was thinking when he was talking about your heart's desire, I was fully expecting that this was gonna lead into "I want my mother freed from hell." Well, that's what you were. That's what you're supposed to think, the, you know. And you know, in the end, he'd rather have the teddy bear. <laughs> Because he understands what Spock said to Stan. What? He understands. Oh, better. He, he, yeah. <laughs> better to. I've often found that uh, the wanting is is uh, more important or better than the, the having of something. Yeah, it's not, it's not logical. logical, but it's often the truth. Right. Yep. <laughs> but it is true. Absolutely is true. Uh, well, I think it just proves that you know maybe in his heart, Doom worries about what others think about him, and and even though he doesn't see himself as a villain, you know the little girl. Didn't, was it afraid of his armor? Did, he didn't scare her. So that proves that, you know, I am a good guy. See, that just reinforces. He thinks he's a good guy anyway. And this the little girl just reinforces that he's a good guy. So that's why he's cherishing a teddy bear. I think and he, so. And he tells Santa, he goes, next time we meet, we're going to be enemies. He goes, you know, we may have worked together now, but uh, the next time we meet... Uh, well, I mean, just remember, uh, none of this would have happened if Santa hadn't violated international law and crossed over into Latveria without the proper permits. 
I don't think Santa needs permits. I think Santa can go. Uh, uh, well, anywhere else is going to allow him, but Doom, you know, it's <laughs> he's got to appear strong. <laughs> Makes you wonder what Christmas in Liberia is like. Yeah, um, a lot of wooden toys, not crackers, and so on. <laughs> no modern technology. But everybody's smiling because they, they're told to. Well, this is a, a cute story. I'm glad we were able to do it. Um, obviously, yeah. Do you think? Um, do you think Burn retro um, retcon this that that's a Doombot? <laughs> you know, there's no mention you know of it anywhere else from from Burn, and I couldn't even find anything on his website about it. Uh, now, now, I mean, Burn, you know, does the occasional Christmas thing. He did, you know, his She Hulk storyline where he used santa in there twice um and you know everybody thinks about the x-men x-men story and they call that christmas story but that's really more of a hanukkah story with kitty it just happens yeah. to happen around christmas eve but burn himself is you know a uh, an atheist and you know there's no bones oh, about talking right. about that on his website if you have any interest in that but i don't um but you know, I mean, so he'll do the cute stories like this from time to time. But you're, you know, and then he goes, he did the, um, the what do you, the World War One Flying Ace, yeah. uh, mm. one that we covered yeah. a, a couple of years ago. Um, but he, Silent Night, yeah, Silent Night, yeah. But you know, he's not going to do something that in, is inherently Christmas. You know, talking about Jesus or anything like that. Well, and this this has nothing to do with that. Right. This is really, I mean, and you can. Honestly, if if you're if you're not a believer, you can believe in Christmas strictly of just goodwill towards men. You know, just be nice to everybody. That has nothing to do with religion. That's just being a decent person. So I think you can believe in Christmas on that level without really getting into the religious aspect of it. Oh, uh, I know. I've got um, I've got several Jewish friends who love Christmas time, and they put up Christmas decorations. They put up Christmas trees. They you know all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, they just they just love it. They love the yeah. mood. They love the, the merriment of the season. And that's what I love about it, too. Why are you worried oh. about time right now? That's the Christmas bell. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we barely have been at this for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. You know, the, the, there are plenty... That was a Christmas bell. <laughs> don't you see the jingle bells around uh, Rudolph's uh, neck and shoulders there, you know? Yeah, yeah, those are those are bells. Now, do you hear them? It's it's funny. We were we were finishing up the tree last night. I'd actually put up the tree uh, at Thanksgiving, uh, so my brother-in-law and his family could uh, take their pictures in front of it. They like to take their pictures in front of our Christmas tree for some reason. But uh, we had some final trimming to do on it and everything. And so whenever we do our, our Christmas tree setup, we'll put on a bunch of Christmas movies. And last night was um, the Polar Express. And the Ron Howard, Jim Carrey, Grinch Stole Christmas. So some fun. What, what fun. not Die Hard and uh, Lethal Weapon? No, those yeah. usually happen the week of Christmas. <laughs> and my son still has not watched Lethal Weapon. He loves Die Hard. Oh. But yeah, I can't wait to show him Lethal Weapon. But there's another... Ours is well, White Christmas. There's we an, watch that every year. There's another really good Christmas movie, if you have not watched it, called Fat Man, that stars Mel Gibson... And um, it's got Walt Goggins in it, which I don't know what, if you guys uh, know who Walt Goggins is, but he is one of my favorite actors these days. Just a, uh, a great guy. Uh, if you watch the movie The Predators, yeah. Predators with Adrian Brody, he was the prison guy, the one that was uh, supposed to be executed. Well, he's the main protagonist in Justified. Yes, yes. Uh, 
but yeah, 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 I just think he's a he's a great actor. Anyway, so uh, Fat yeah. Man is the story where Mel Gibson is Santa, and you you know realize that Santa's got some abilities, and uh, they're of course having productivity issues because Christmas demand seems to be a lot more down than it had been in previous years, so they have to go to the government to do uh, munitions work for them to to make up you know for the the the, the in, in, incoming money. But um, no, it's, well, is it is it called Fat Man as in Fat Man a little boy? No, it's no. It's, it's Fat oh. Man as you know the, the Fat Man in the red suit. Oh, okay. Well, you said munitions. I thought. I know, I know. It, it, like, like Santa said, make an atomic bomb. It's very dark, but it's no, no, not atomic bombs. More like uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, machine guns and such, or maybe oh, airplanes. Okay. I don't know. But I mean, it's just a, a very good, very good story. Uh, very interesting. And like I said, Walt Goggins plays a very interesting and cool villain. But he's not the one that's pulling all the strings. He's just the the assassin that's been hired by the main villain. But uh, okay. yeah, you should uh, definitely. I'm surprised there wasn't a new. Uh, go ahead. Well, I'm surprised there wasn't a new uh, Kurt Russell. You know, he's done those two yeah. Santa movies with uh, Goldie Hawn. I'm surprised there wasn't one of those. Maybe they didn't have time, but I know they had one last year and I think the year before. My wife really enjoys those. those. Okay. I haven't watched them yet. They're not bad. I mean, it, I mean, I'm a Kurt Russell fan, so that makes them watchable for me. I mean, they're not anything special, but but he's good at it. He's you know. Hallmark Channel movies. Oh, um, you know, my um, my mother-in-law. She passed away about a year ago, but my mother-in-law lived with us these last few years, and she had Hallmark Christmas movies playing 24/7 in her room. She just loved watching those, and oh, so it's like that's there. It's always like Dean Kane or Amy Acker or you know, <laughs> you know pe- pe- people who have aged out of, reg- of primetime TV shows. Uh, but I mean, just twenty four seven, she was always watching. It. So there's always Christmas in her room, and now my wife has taken to being watching those whenever she's got spare time. And uh, well, there's a new one she might like. Vanilla watched it the other day, and it's on Netflix, I think. And it's Brooke Shields and Carrie Elway. Oh yeah, and it takes place, uh, you know, the basically she's a, like a romance writer, and she buys a Scottish castle, and he's the Scottish lord that owns it, but he can't afford to keep it up, so he's basically kind of have to sell it to her, and you know, I think there's a meet you, and you know, it. you know, I think she's watching, that, and she I don't know what it's called. Her. Yeah, that's that's Christmas movie too. Yeah, but I've got Nas- uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you know, kind of on a, a loop playing in the background. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hold for off the watching best movie to play in a loop. Yeah. You want twenty four hours of a Christmas Christmas story? story. Well, that's it. I, I, because they do that twenty four hour loop would, um, yeah. you know, on Christmas Day. I guess it's Turner Classic Movies uh, that does it. Um, I I always leave that one playing in the in the living room uh, when that when that comes on, but I don't watch it beforehand because you get so much of it that day. Yeah. From Christmas Eve. Do they Christmas still do Day. that? Yeah. Do they still do it? Okay. Yeah, it's it's bigger now than it's than it's ever been. You know, there's actually a sequel out too. There's a sequel to a Christmas yes. story. Um, yes, I was just about to mention it. But I haven't. That's the one with that's Charles Broden, right? Get all grown up in it. Uh, no, there's there there may be more than one sequel. Uh, well, there's the a Charles Broden sequel. What's called a like a summer Holly, story or a Holly Hoopnagel's Haven of Bliss. That's what it's called. I know it's an ungainly title, but it's Holly Hoopnagel's Haven of Bliss. No, the story is of 
of the, the the family, the same actors, Darren McGavin and all the rest of the cast, get in the family station wagon and they drive up western Michigan from the Chicago area up towards Traverse City. And the story is packing the car and the sights they see and the adventures. And the payoff is once they get there, I won't spoil it for you, but once they get there, they discover what they've forgotten and didn't pack in the car. So Now, is, it, is this it, with Daniel Stern? You know, he's one of the bad guys from Home Alone. Because uh, there's a there's a, uh, a Christmas Story 2 that was written by Gene Shepard, who wrote, of course, the original uh, Christmas Story. He also wrote Porky's. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can believe that. But uh, Daniel Stern plays the old man, and uh, uh, some kid, Braden LeMasters, plays young Ralphie. Doesn't quite look the same as... Um, you know, Messy Marvin. No. The, the one that I'm thinking has Darren McGavin and the rest of the cast. Really? It never made it big, but it, yeah, they yeah. Uh, they filmed that afterwards. It's got a very ungainly uh, title, you know, very cool. unhandy. I know there's, there, like I said, there's one with Charles Grodin that's supposed to be, none of the, the original actors are in it, but it, this takes place during the summer. Mm-hmm. But it's, Grodin plays Darren McGavin character, the father. And I don't know who plays the kid. But all new actors, but it's a it's a loose sequel. I think it's also was written by uh, Shepard. That came out a couple of years after the original Christmas Story came out. Um, I'm surprised they haven't made one with uh, Ralphie uh, oh, Billingsley. Is that his yeah, name? Peter Billingsley. Peter Billingsley. Peter Billingsley. You know, he's a producer now. I don't think he acts. Yep. He produces. Right. He's been in uh, uh, Spider. He's in Spider Man No Way Home. Yeah, he can. And Iron Man. Yeah, he could do. Yeah, he still act. And but he, he was also act, the but. thing is, he is good friends with John Favreau, and so he was in Iron Man. As a result of that, he's also an Elf, which is a John Favreau movie. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised they haven't brought him back to do like they did with Vacation, where they had a grown-up Rusty take his family. You know, have Billingsley grown up, and of course, if he was grown up, that would be the. 60s maybe because that one took place in the 40s and he was grown up it would be 60s yeah uh and then have him you know have a christmas story but with him as the father now and um or maybe that would be the 60s yeah 60s you could do it so yeah ollie hoopla's haven of bliss was a tv movie and um it had james sicking playing the old man rather than ralph and and jerry o'connell played ralph oh that's weird. Now, James Sitting, yeah. wasn't he the one that um, was also the starship captain of the Excelsior? Yep. His Captain Styles in Star Trek Three, but, I, of course, I, I always think of him from uh, Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues, he yeah. He was uh, Hunter, the SWAT guy. Howard Hunter. Oh. And let's see. Another good Christmas movie I, watch, tend to, I try to watch every year is Stalag 17. What? <laughs> So Worf, oh yeah! If you haven't seen that film, that film is fantastic. It's uh, it's black William and white. It, it's a it's a William Holden, it's William Holden, a young Peter Graves. Yeah. Uh, it's got it's a Billy Wilder film, so the dialogue is just crisp and sharp and funny. Yeah, uh, and there's a subplot with uh, animal and and, uh-huh. the, and uh, the his the, yeah his little Jewish friend I can't remember his name Joey or something. Uh, Harry Harry Shapiro. If you haven't seen it, I can't recommend it more because it's got a great payoff at the end. Yep, it's it is William really Holden won, I think, an Academy Award for it. Um, yep. and, and it's just, it, and it's a Christmas movie, but it's also a great war movie, and it's great comedy. Yeah, it's good. And it is good. there's a, there's a mystery as well. 
right. Uh, but it's I got a great payoff. At all, but yeah. uh, it's sort of like an Agatha Christie mystery that uh, they they show you the evidence right in front of your face until you get yeah. to the end when the reveal is there. And it's basically, I think, what Hogan's Hero was, was kind of based on. Yes, like, yes, you're yeah. right. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and I, I misspoke earlier. I was talking about Gene Shepard as having to do Porky's. It's, that's not correct. It was the director of the movie, Bob Clark, who directed A Christmas Story, right. who also directed Porky's, the original Black Christmas, uh, Baby Geniuses, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of crazy stuff. Turk One Eighty Two, a great New York uh, movie from from back in the day. I always like yeah, that. Yeah, that kind of has its feel to it too. Yep. Yeah, Tim Hutton. Yep, and Darren McGavin. And uh, what's his name? He played uh, the Frankenstein monster in Young Frankenstein. The father from uh, Everyone Loves Raymond. Peter Boyle? Yep, Peter Boyle. He's in yep. it too. And Kim Cattrall was in that movie as well. Robert Urich. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Just uh, It's got a lot of, yeah. Very it's kind of a, a, it's Yeah, it's a little obscure. Um, if you want to see a good Darren McAdvin film, and it's also obscure, but I think it's a cult. Have you ever seen Dead Heat? Oh, yeah. With uh, uh, Treat Williams, who's a comedian? And, oh, Treat Williams, Joe who's Piscopo. a comedian? Joe Piscopo. Yes. Yeah. Which, whenever I think of Joe Piscopo, I always think of Johnny Dangerously. My mother oh, kicked me in the nuts too. once. Once. <laughs> once. <laughs> well, I think that we've covered, you know, um, most everything as far as you know the, this yeah. book and uh, its effect on Christmas because it's affected my Christmas. I want to go get some cookies <laughs> now. Um. <laughs> we want to. Uh, we talked about this. You want to read a couple emails because we've got got a few. Yeah, let's got, do that. Got a all short right. show. Let's. Uh, yeah. Now I did all. I did uh, all the heavy lifting, so you and John and Kirk get to read. Uh, do they have access to the email file? Well, I can. I can shoot it to them real quick. Oh. I can shoot it to them. Okay, I can make one up though. <laughs> I will, uh, and I think I've got mine labeled, so I think I'm, I know the ones that we've read. Uh, most of them are from Nigel, and we do have one from Jack Bond. No, we haven't. And we also have one from uh, John Hyatt. We read that one. Uh, we read the one from John Hyatt in our Elswin co- our last Elswin coverage, or last okay. something recently right. we did. So I thought, all right. Then, let me uh, shoot the Jack Bond one to who wants to do that one. I'll read um, that one because okay. that one is kind of responding to my coverage of Superman. So I'll well, read that the, one. But one before a, it also from uh, Nigel Speak, Rick, Rick Sheffield, that's also Superboy and Bizarro coverage. Yeah, but Jack Bond writes his in a particular way. So you want me to send the other one to uh, Kirk since he... Yeah, you can send the Nigel's, the two Nigel Spink with one, which is uh, episode 84.5 and Superman, Man of Steel Part 2. All right. Do you want to send one of those to John and one of them to Kirk? Okay, so I sent this one to Kirk. This is a thrilling behind-the-scenes coverage of people who yeah. are loving and probably Man of skipping Steel ahead. Part two? Is that the one? Yeah, the other one? Yeah, okay. Man of Steel Part 2. And that one goes it's to, Nigel. to John. Yeah. Right. Are you sending these? Uh, I sent yours to your Hotmail address. Okay, good. And I sent... Yeah, I see it. It's coming. John, I just sent one to your email. All right. Fun, fun background stuff here at Third Degree Burn. Let me ask you, while they're pulling this stuff up, are you guys listening to any of the other podcasts on the Two True Freaks Network? We talk about Back to the Bins. We talk about uh, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, and the many things that he does from time to time, which he's been doing a lot of uh, voice work 
And you can see that on a lot of shows here on, on Two True Freaks. But one other podcast I like to point out, or at least a, a podcaster, um, is, uh, is well, the podcast he does is Pop Culture Affidavit. And I'm blanking on his name. Um, hello? I know this show. I don't think I've ever listened to it. You're kidding. Uh, Say it again? Pop Culture Describe Affidavit. It. Oh, yeah. And, I've listened to it on occasion. And all of a sudden, I'm blanking on the name. Tim Panneries? John Pan, Tom Panneries. Yeah, John Tom Pan, Tom Panneries. My gosh, I can't believe I, I, I choked on that. Um, but he's been doing, you know, Fallen Walls, Open Curtains, which is about the fall of the Soviet Union um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, of course, he does a lot of things just de- dealing with pop culture. And, and every show that he does, regardless of whether it's something that you're interested in or not interested in, is compelling. Very well researched. Uh, uh, you know, he goes to a lot of different sources. I really like the structure of his show. Uh, definitely worth a listen. Also, of course, we have uh, Palace of Glittering Delights by our own friend, Mr. Um, why am I having Leyland. trouble with names? Andrew Leyland. Andrew Leyland. And I can't believe I had trouble with that. But uh, now, of course, he's been covering Moonlighting lately on Palace of Glittering Delights, which is just um, that's that's a delight unto itself. I don't know if you guys were big fans of that, but if you like She-Hulk uh, with her, you know, talking to the fourth wall, you'd love Moonlighting because I think it's kind of in the same vein, you know. Oh yes, a lot yeah, of yeah, Moonlighting is yeah, it's, it's inspired uh, by it. Yeah, so uh, it started to go off the rails a little bit in the end. Yeah, but I mean that's going to happen with a show like that. Uh, but that show also gave us the great, great Curtis Armstrong. Who you know you might know from Revenge of the Nerds as Booger, uh, oh yeah, or as Dalby from uh, uh, Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Uh, also, you got the J Guys and Jedi's, which is a Star Wars uh, podcast that Chris Honeywell and Holt Mullinex do. do. And uh, lately, they've been covering the Star Wars Visions, which is the the Disney Plus animated series that's basically different anime creators. Uh, doing little Star Wars vignettes, really, mm-hmm. really uh, interesting yeah. stuff, and so their coverage of that's going on right now. I'm sure. All right. Yeah. Which letter do you want to do first? Uh, I got mine. I can, I, I can read mine. If you guys have been time pulling it up, pulling it up. I will read. Uh, let me read Jack Bonds here, and this is uh, it says Adventures of Bizarro Boys. So this is in response to Superman or Man of Steel. Five, is that correct? I'm the one we yeah. covered. The he- yeah. basically the one that has Bizarro in it. I think it's it's Man of Steel Five. Uh, and Jack Bond says, <laughs> "Me, I'm such big Marvel zombie. Not even Burn get get me to read Man of Steel, or at least I was how to do Bizarro handle tenses. Nevertheless, I am only I only read one, one night in Gotham City and the mirror cracked in any way close to publication time." Uh, they must have been in in a friend must have been in your friend's pile. Um, my feeling back then, prompted by the appearance of Luther's legendary superpowers armor, you reminded me of was Byrne was given three barnacles, was given the, given these barnacles uh, an existence and a place in history, but was setting them aside and not going to use them in the Superman stories he was going to tell. Sorry, I'm reading it so poorly. It seems perfectly. Uh, in Burns' character, that it, it, he is going to to craft the only bizarro story you'll ever need. He is going to turn uh, to the first one. Uh, then it says Auto Auto Bender. I'm told he wrote a lot of gold, gold and silver age comic stories, 
but I don't know what. He also wrote these stories for the science fiction magazines uh, on his own and his brother Earl under the name Endo Bender. Their main claim to fame is the story iRobot, which was one of the first to have a robot as the protagonist rather than a menace. Hmm. This story was adapted into an episode of the same name for the original Outer Limits and remade for the, the 90s revival with uh, Leonard Nimoy, by the way. Uh, I was uh, I was not the I was uh, it was not the Will Smith movie of uh, the same name that bought the rights to it Isaac, Isaac Asimov novel which and he admits stole the the title from the story. Wow. They argued the robot Adam Link should have full rights, so I don't know where the benders really stand on the things built of unliving material. Jack, hmm. well, Jack, a great email. Sorry, I butchered it while I was trying to read it. <laughs> now, so Otto Bender is the uh, one that, that wrote the Golden Silver Age stories. If he did so much of the Superboy stuff, uh, I'd have to say he's probably the originator of Choke in every other frame of Superboy thinking to himself. Choke! I can't believe oh. that, that Lana Lang is going to go to the dance without me. Choke! I can't believe that Ma and Pa and Ken are going to go sell the farm and start a grocery store. Choke! I can't believe that Choke. lightning struck and showed Pete Ross my costume. Oh, wait. <laughs> well, and, I w- and not to plug ourselves, but Kirk and I covered the uh, original Superboy story that the burn one borrowed from. Yep. Was and I think we coverage. did a pretty good. I think we did a pretty good job of covering them because that was a really bizarre story. That's also the topic of Nigel Spink's email, which I'm ready to read to you right. if you'd like. Go for it. Uh, this came in in third in uh, October. It says, "Dear Kirk and Tim, after listening to your extra burn-related, in a way, podcast reviewing the events of Superboy '68, I found it interesting and was rather surprised." As to the amount of the original plot John Byrne took from this comic and molded into his Man of Steel number five issue. Whilst it's not unusual for Byrne to take old characters, especially villains, and reintroduce them in a new way, the story and settings are mainly fresh and different. Still, I guess Byrne may remember this comic from his childhood, as he would have been about eight years old at the time and probably getting into the DC comics of that period. I myself was born about that. I myself was about that age when I discovered superhero comics, and by the way, I was born in 1958, same year this comic was published. So by using a lot of the main plot ideas, Byrne felt he was paying homage to this story whilst making it more acceptable to the readers of 1986. At least he didn't include an A-bomb in Man of Steel number 5, and I don't remember seeing Bizarro cry either. It was a nice presentation, guys, and interesting for me to learn about this earlier story, as well as all the little observations made by Kirk about the ads included in the comic, and the fact that zip codes did not exist until 1960. All fascinating, as Spock might say, but probably meant less to me than most other listeners. All fascinating, but probably meant less to me than most other listeners, as I'm not American. Nevertheless, a nice add-on to the previous two episodes. Signed, Nigel Splink. Hmm. Well, good email. Nice email. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. That's very nice of you to write in. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. Be Papa Fefe. Okay. Do we do we have any others? So we had the one um, that I uh, sent to John. John was going to read. But John, you're yeah. saying that it's tied to something else. 
Yeah, go ahead and read the comments. I'll, if you want me to read the, I can start the letter here. Um, ready? I, I'm not sure what you mean. Yeah, yeah. You'll find out when I read the the email then. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hi, Brian, Tim, John, and Kirk. To begin with, at the end of episode 84 podcast, Brian asked if my email covering episode 82, Champions, had been read out previously, to which someone, don't recall who, answered, yes, I think so. Well, at the risk of sounding a bit of a sado here, I can confirm that Champions' email has not been read out, as there is too little time at the end of episode 83 to do so. I hope you can find time to cover it in a future episode. That's what I was referring to. If you can find it, pull it up. <laughs> was that John Burns? So on we go with yeah. So on we go with the continuation of Burns' version of Superman, issue four, Enemy Mine. Starts nicely with Lois Lane looking suitably fab, uh, glamorous. I was always a fan of the 80 shoulder pads fashion, to be honest. <laughs> a nice introduction to his rich businessman Lex Luthor. Although I preferred him without any hair, and I left, and I felt Byrne was also influenced by Gene Hackman's Luther hair. The story flowed quickly and easily, whilst containing quite a lot, and I particularly liked the art on page 18, with the close-ups of Superman, Lex, Lois, and the Mayor. Issue 5. I liked the opening splash page, but I always felt that somehow I had already missed some action and was coming in halfway through the story. Still, it was a different and an interesting way to set the scene for what would follow. Not being a Superman fan originally, I didn't really know much about Bizarro, other than he was white-skinned Superman du- duplicate. I also didn't know that Lois had a sister. Did she? Or was this another Burn addition to his take on the Man of Steel? Again, Burn takes ideas from Superman films and inserts them into the artwork, reminding me of scenes in the relevant movies. The way he drew Lucy, she reminded me of Jacqueline Fallsworth, aka Spitfire, as she looked after receiving the blood transfusion from the original Torch in Namor the Submariner, which came several years later. However, this is based on how she looks in the trade paperback. More on that later. Issue 6. Once again, I had heard of Lana Lang from very old Superman stories, but I never really knew how she fit into this history. This story for me was a little dull and just served the purpose of filling in Clark's knowledge of where he was from of where he was from and the fact that he was an alien. However, I did learn from your discussions about where this story takes place in the continuity. I just read it originally as taking place sometime after the previous issue. What I found interesting was how the coloring differed from the original comic issues to the trade paperback and so on. Brian highlighted two specific instances and they both involved the Lane sisters. Firstly, he pointed out that Lois had black hair in the original comics which was changed to different shades of brown in the trade. Yes, I always remembered seeing Lois with black hair and wondered why it had been changed, but in fact it hadn't. Second, Brian also noted that Lucy in issue 5 originally was given brown hair, but that was changed to blonde in the trade. Therefore, if they had colored Lucy's hair brown in the trade paperback, then maybe I wouldn't have been reminded of the similarity to Jacqueline Fallsworth after all. All in all, I enjoyed going through and covering these six issues along with you guys. The artwork was great throughout, and I certainly started to appreciate Superman more. Although I didn't actually continue to buy the Superman books Byrne was on, something I regret these days. <laughs> now, if Byrne had been given the same opportunity with Batman, dot, 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 I'm sure I would have another DC title in my collection, Nigel Spink. 
Yeah, you know, they they apparently offered him Batman, and he did a few stories here and there, Batman Black and White, the many deaths of the Batman and such, but he didn't want to be someone who had to keep writing detective stories. He doesn't like to write detective stories. And so that's why he shied away from Batman for the most part. Interesting. Um, as far as Lucy Lane goes, she uh, premiered back in the late 50s in the Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen book, created by Otto Bender and Kurt Swan. So she's been around a sense. long time. That would give was Jimmy it? a love interest, and that would make yeah. sense. Yeah, wasn't she occasionally a love interest for Jimmy? Well, she was in, in Burns' version. Um, right, but in the original, or I in the know. pre-crisis, I she was. really don't know. Yeah, I think so. Everybody had a love interest. It well, was they, the they American carried, way. They carried that over into the Supergirl film that... Uh, it was only when he starred Jimmy Olsen from the, the Reeves films, he came in and they had Lucy Lane, yeah. and he was they were kind of romantically involved. But it says here that in the Silver Age stories, Lucy is presented as an airline stewardess who is an on-again, off-again romantic interest of Jimmy Olsen. So, yeah. Her appearances would revolve around Jimmy's various attempts to at romancing her. Uh, Brian, I think that's called flight attendant now. Yeah, yeah but we're talking about the 50s, so it's a stewardess. <laughs> My mother was a stewardess. I have no problem with that. You know, now she'd be called a flight attendant, but you know, well, she's not doing it. We now. we need. <laughs> we've uh we've been shamed into reading Nigel's other female. Do you want me to read it, or do you want to read it? The champions. Uh, go ahead. Okay. First, Nigel, we apologize. You know, we're 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 not the best at our own housekeeping, so we uh we thought we'd read this, but we hadn't. So this is our coverage of the champion series we did. Hello, Tim, Brian, John, Kirk, and David. When I first saw the covers of Champions No. 1 on the stands in 1976, with that Gil Kane, Dan Atkins cover, there was never any doubt that I would buy it. With the exception of Ghost Rider, I was familiar with the rest of these characters and was happy to see them appearing in what I hoped would be a regular title once again. Unfortunately, the interior artwork proved to be less than inspiring, but I stayed faithful to the group. Issues 8 through 10 showed improvement in both the story and art, although the title seemed the only average at best. Upon opening issue 11, I was instantly remembered, remember thinking, wow, this is sensational. There was something spectacular and exciting about every page, and when I saw the artist's name and realized this is a guy from Marvel Team Up, fantastic. The champions came alive from here, and I loved this issue. I had great, uh, it had great artwork and pacing. It had guest stars and a new potential member. It had a previous C-rated villain appearing as a serious threat, sometime, something Byrne was always excel, excelled at. It had a to-be-continued ending starring, starring Stiltman. What more, could you add? what more could you want? Issue 12 just ramped up the non-stop action. Those first three splash pages were fabulous, and Darkstar was a great addition to the team. Then Byrne introduces the stranger, uh, fresh from his appearance in Team Up number 55 with Spider-Man and Warlock on the moon. In the threat from the no-life bomb from the Silver Surfer number 5, suddenly the champion's title is right up there with the best of them. The story concluded nicely in issue 13, though I felt uh, it lost a little impact, mainly due to the storyline more than anything else, but the artwork carried it through. Issue 14 and 15 gave us some fabulous artwork and well-paced storylines, introducing... Fritz von Meyer, a.k.a. Swarm. I kind of liked him and thought he would be quite a serious threat uh, given the right situation, but some readers see him as a bit of a joke. Either way, Byrne seemed to like the Nazi villain. 
it might be an interesting research to see how many Nazi villains have appeared in all of Burns' works over the years. Uh, early in the story, we see Ivan Petrovich leave for Russia, possibly for a mission for Nick Fury. Now someone asked uh, if there was follow- now someone asked if there was a follow-up on a uh, uh, story on what happened after Ivan was met on board by the two uh, surly Soviets. I'm sure Matlow and Byrne intended to carry on this plot, but never got the chance due to the title cancellation. However, not too long after Champions finished early 80s, Black Widow had a four-part story in Marvel Fanfare issues 10 through 13 by Ralph Baccio, drawn, by, drawn and co-plotted by George Perez, uh, in which Shield, uh, the Shield are investigating the kidnapping or possible defection of one of Ivan Petrovich, of one Ivan. Petrovich to the Soviets. I believe this was possibly that Ralph and George were aware of Ivan's last appearance in the Champions when plotting this story. I have to say that covering all of these issues in one podcast was a brave undertaking on your part, gentlemen, and for the most part, you succeeded. However, I felt at times you put yourselves under pressure to move on when there was much left to be discussed at certain points. Maybe it would have been better to split into two podcasts, which, uh, which if nothing else, could have given you more time to wax lyrical over Mr. Burns' art and the contributions to the story. Still, I enjoyed following along these issues, and I thank you. Lastly, ideas on what to cover in future podcasts. I believe Byrne worked uh, on some Marvel 2-in-1 issues. There is also Marvel Team-Up, Iron Fist, the Silver Surfer Special Edition, June 82, X-Men The Hidden Years, and even IDW's trio and triple helix sorry for another overlong email but i was just taking i was but i was just i just like talking about comics especially when drawn by burn and after all isn't that what this is all about nigel spinks thank you i guess aka rick Uh, we appreciate everything you write in um you've always got really good opinions and you always bring up something that uh is is interesting here you you mentioned uh, x-men hidden years do you guys realize it has been 20 years since X-Men The Hidden Years came out? That's 20 years since Byrne has actually worked at Marvel. He brought that up on his website recently, and I was just like, God, it felt like yesterday. You know, 20 years ago does feel like yesterday to me, and, and, and I guess the movement of time is just one of those things where things just seem to move faster the older you get. And the reason why that is is because, by comparison, a day versus your entire life seems to be shorter and faster. Mm-hmm. It's the relative perception of us. Yep. Yep. And in what, golly, in just a few days I'll be on vacation till the end of the year. What am I going to get yeah. done? Who knows? Probably nothing. Must be lucky. Well, when you've been at a company for 23 years, they kind of give you a little bit more time off. Oi. But hey, did I just... Well, we that was good. That? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good stopping point. We've got kind of we got caught up in our emails. We uh, hopefully we've uh, we've made good with Nigel after forgetting to <laughs> read his email. Uh, but uh, well, he's, again, yeah. if, it, if he keeps writing it enough, we're just gonna have to invite him on the show. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah that, so. that is how it works. And you never know; it could springboard to a larger career. Now I gotta say, of course, right. this is uh, you know our, our our Christmas episode per se. But, you know, it's also probably, I mean, Tim and I have a little something planned with um, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We'll see how that goes. But I don't know if we've got anything else between now and the end of the year with everybody's schedules and such. So I just want to say it's been a really, really good year. Obviously, we, we 
you know, put out a lot of material. Not as much material as we put out in 2020, but 2020, everybody was stuck at home and didn't have anything else to do. So, uh, but I, I think it's been a really, really good year. I've really enjoyed doing all this with you guys. It's been one of those things that's helped keep my sanity through an insane year, uh, insane two years, really. Uh, and I just want to thank you guys for that. Um, you know, if you were closer here, I'd, you know, buy you dinner and, you know, who knows what. But uh, just want to thank you all for that and wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, it, it's thanks, been, Brian. Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, we had a blast doing this show and it was just Brian and I, but then inviting you guys on has, I think, really expanded the show because you get more ideas bouncing off each other with more topics better discussion uh stretching i, I want to say a richer stretching the yeah, richer show. all over the place which has been really, yeah. really fun and interesting yeah. uh, trying different yeah. things you know tim oh. and i were very milk and cookies or meat and potatoes and how we were doing our presentation and yeah. uh, it's 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 definitely uh definitely good yeah. fresh change you know all it takes is a weatherman and a postman <laughs> oh no <laughs> whatever and a comic book comic, store comic owner. book store owner or, and a comic store i don't owner. know what he does yeah. during the day it's something shovels snow no it's it's like you can't quite describe it you know <laughs> yeah i wanted to say i took a picture john but i'm just going to tell you guys we're on the call we were at the mall yesterday and we went by a, i think it was a, a journeys or a, a shoe store it's like journeys or vans or something and vans has come up with a it's like a slip-on you know like a their slip-on shoes but it's the it's the the united states post logo all over cool. it have you seen these Yes, they uh, they recently uh, worked out um, um, co-branding with uh, yeah. the U.S. Postal Service, so those are official shoes right. uh, representing Vans and the Postal Service, and they would make great holiday gifts. <laughs> Not they for me, send, though. They didn't send you your compliment repair? Uh, no, they didn't. <laughs> we don't get anything like that. I wish they would, but yeah, no. Uh, one of my coworkers, she bought a pair um, and was showing them off the other day, and they were very super cute on her. They are. They're. they're it's interesting. We walked by. I said, "Hey, that's the postal code. It's the postal yeah. logo. What is that? But, that's so bizarre." I think they have weird. high tops uh, for uh, as well. Uh, in addition to those little slip-ons. Oh, I just saw the slip-ons. Yeah, like the uh, the. What are the What are the vans? The checkered. Those are the. Um, yeah, I don't know what the Spicoli there's, there's a, ones. There's a term for it. The Spicoli. Like yeah, it's, like, it's just those slip-on kind of like boat shoes. But I thought that was kind of cool. Oh. Well, I think right, we well. beat everything to death here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll we'll talk to each other more uh, over the next couple of weeks. Maybe figure out what we're going to do next. Um, we have discussed, uh, and you probably listened to our our George Perez uh, show uh, that was put out a couple days ago that we may uh, alternate this next year on uh, uh, books between Byrne and George Perez as just a, you know, a thing toward, for George as a, as a nice tribute. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, get your email read, you can send it to gotta get at gmail.com. Might take a few months, but we'll do it. <laughs> spelled G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D. Gotta get burned at gmail.com. Yep. Or go to the and Facebook page. Facebook page. And our our standing offer is still good that if you will give us a four or five star review on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcast. Apple Podcasts, whatever whatever they're calling it. 
then Absolutely. we will allow you to pick a book that we will cover. And now it has to be a burn book, but if you leave us a review, then you get to choose what we cover. Hopefully something we haven't covered already. Yeah, well, if it is, it could be something that possibly Kirk and Dave and John haven't been on the show for. Yeah, we can re- revisit so, I mean, It's I would, been interesting. Yeah, I would, I would think they'd pick something they haven't heard us talk about yet, but uh, it's a standing offer, so get those uh, reviews in. And we're also we're always open to recipes. We we stopped saying that, you know. But we're always open to recipes. Well, it's on it's the end of every show, and I got one recipe the very first or second show we did, and after that nothing. So this Christmas, <laughs> send us send us your favorite Christmas recipes, whether it's a a hot drink or an adult beverage or cookies or bread or cakes. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> now, I'm looking for a good pizza dough recipe. My son's making pizza dough virtually every what? day. He's making pizza virtually pizza every dough? day. And, you know, we look at, out there for different pizza dough recipes. And I'm looking for something that's different, something that, that, that gives you a good zing. So if you guys got any ideas, throw them my way or throw them our way. Got to get burned at gmail.com. What does zing mean to you? Do you want it spicier? Because pizza dough is kind of pizza dough. I want variety. <laughs> There's not much variety for that. I want variety. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, I'm not asking to, to throw chili pepper in there or anything like that. But you never know. Someone may throw something that I'd never heard of. Um, okay. You know, it's well, like the Aztecs used yeah. to put chili pepper in their hot chocolate. Let's, you know, think. Yeah. Yeah, what do you, I've, seen that. I've seen I've seen chocolate bars like that that are. Yeah. I only know this chocolate because bars, we watched Polar Express last night, and the geek in there talked about that. So, well, remember the ancient the ancient um, uh, indigenous people didn't mix it with sugar and milk and cream like like that happened once it got into Europe. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm now hungry, thirsty, and want some chocolate. So, you guys are very sophisticated. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Third Degree Burn for Tim Elliott, Kirk Greenfield, and John Hyatt, and our absent friend David Thompson. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at 22freaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Two Two Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn